You're listening to the Yakima Chief Hops Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Bigger Than Beer, a Yakima Chief Hops podcast dedicated to the larger impact of the craft beer community. This includes social, environmental, and sustainability initiatives with the ultimate goal of discovering solutions for change. This year's Bigger Than Beer series, Women Plus in Industry, will shine a light on some amazing women and share their different perspectives in the hopes of inspiring meaningful conversations and positive change on this very important issue. My name is Tony Lynn Adams, and I'm honored to be serving as the host of Bigger Than Beer, and I'm excited to chat with the two women joining me on the podcast for this episode, Natasha Piscar and Shanley Thompson. Welcome to Bigger Than Beer. Thank you. Let's kick Thank it you for having us. Of course. Thanks for joining. Let's kick it off by introducing yourself so our listeners know uh, whose voice is whose and share your title and your current role in the hop and beer industry. Hi, I'm Natasha. I don't, you can't see me, but I just waved anyway. <laughs> um, I am the production manager at the Establishment Brewing Company in Calgary, Alberta. Hi, I'm Shanley Thompson. I am the Western Canadian sales manager for Yakima Chief Hops. Right on. Thank you both for joining. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and start off asking Natasha a little bit more about her, her career experience. Natasha, can you walk me through your education and, and career leading up to now? Yeah, it's kind of been a little bit of a winding road um, into craft beer, but um, I went back to university at Simon Fraser University in Burnaby, BC to finish off my chemistry degree. Um, I was headed towards pre-veterinary <laughs> and thought, you know what looks good on vet school applications is clubs. So I got involved in a home brewing club uh, called SF Brew, um, which was more of a home sampling club. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, ended up really uh, loving uh, the beer scene in Vancouver, got involved uh, kind of right as things were exploding there. When I moved to Calgary, um, after I finished my degree in 2014, I found a job at a place called National Beer Hall. They had 72 beers on tap and I just, I was, I was in love. I was like, this is great. <laughs> um, I eventually uh, became their brand manager, dabbled in sales a little bit in between there. I'm a terrible salesperson, but I love talking about beer. And then in 2017, I took the jump to production. So I wanted to see if I could cut it on the brew floor, and um, I've been brewing um, ever since then. That's awesome. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about your transition from brewer and in production to production manager. What has that transition been like? Yeah, it's actually been pretty natural. The job I had before this one, I was the head brewer for two years. And um, so I had a pretty good grasp on, on how you know, things flow in the brewery. So um, when I recently took on that role, I felt very ready for it. And it's been really exciting. Um, yeah, it's been pretty natural transition. That's great. 
Uh, so Natasha, when when you reflect on on your career, what accomplishment, project, or or product are you most proud of? I saw this question and I was like, oh no, (laughs) (laughs) getting into the meat of it. It really made me reflect on my past almost decade in, in the beer industry. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of standout moments. Um, probably first and foremost, when I was at university and in that homebrewing club, um, I learned how to homebrew with one of my best friends and, we entered a competition against uh, the rival university and we ended up winning and got to scale up our recipe uh, with deep cove brewers and distillers. And I think that that's probably like stands out in my mind. That's, you know, really what kicked off my career in craft beer. Um, Most recently with establishment, we won Canadian Brewery of the Year and then Alberta Brewery of the Year. (laughs) Woohoo! Yeah, (laughs) it's been wild. That all happened in the past eight weeks. So um, I can't tell you, I mean, that's been pretty cool. And then hearing from all these folks who've helped my career, been a part of my career along the way. Um, you know, send congratulations and, and it's, it's been really awesome. So that, that is, that is fantastic. What a title to earn. And just for the, for the listeners in the back, could you shout out that title one more time? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Canadian Brewery of the Year. (laughs) Right on. That's awesome. That's, that's congratulations. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, kind of pivoting over to Shanley. Shanley, can you share your education and career journey to today? Sure. Um, it's been a long one. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in a few places. Um, I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba, which is kind of um, a grain belt, a very agricultural place to be in. I think one in three jobs is part of agricultural uh, industry. So I, I grew up kind of around that and uh, focused my studies on food science and agriculture, mainly on grain sciences. Um, and from there, I went to Purdue University to do my master's in um, food science as well, but not related to fermentation or anything like that, uh, doing protein enzymology and protein microbiology uh, on Asian carp in the Mississippi River. So not, not exactly fermentation. Um, but uh, it, a lot of the other programs and a lot of the other courses I took uh, kind of revolved around fermentation studies, sensory science. Um, and really what I wanted to be involved in was the alcohol industry uh, and beverage alcohol, because um, I saw it as a celebratory industry to be in. Everyone um, kind of gathers around it and, and it's a celebratory tool. It's a social tool It's it's um, and seemed to be a great industry to be in. So uh, from my master's, I worked for Diageo making Smirnoff Ice, Smirnoff, Kettle One, Captain Morgan, Crown Royal, all of the big brands, all of the fun brands. Uh, and I did that as a technical um, specialist, uh, liquid commercialization specialist, I think was my official title. Um, but during that time, I had applied to the UC Davis uh, Master Brewers program, um, which it had at that point, I think a three-year wait list. So I worked for Diageo um, basically until I got the acceptance to go to that program uh, in Davis, California. Um, after Diageo, uh, in between that and the Davis program, I worked for the Manitoba Liquors and Lotteries, so more supply chain uh, aspects, um, kind of working on government regulations, finding out how how supply chain worked from um, 
you know, the distribution side of things uh, here in Canada, or at least in Manitoba. Um, and then I did the UC Davis program, which was fun and ridiculous. And I met a lot of American brewers and not a lot of studying went on, but I learned a lot <laughs> about this industry. Um, and I made some amazing connections. A lot of them are still in the industry and it's so fun to see um, all of those people I went to school with, you know, opening their own breweries or starting their own places and winning, winning awards, GABF awards, um, World Beer Cup. And it's, it's so awesome to be able to see them and drink their beer now uh, from where, you know, we started as students. Um, I went from Davis to Washington State uh, and brewed at a couple places in, in and around the Seattle area. Um, pretty, pretty divey places, um, a lot of manual systems, a lot, of, uh, a lot of learning curves and interesting people I work with who may, may have had interesting shady backgrounds, but very lovely people. Um, but I always, I always enjoyed talking about the beer more than actually making it. Um, so really, eventually, I wanted to get into um, into sales and into talking about beer. So um, after after working in the production side, um, I moved back to Minnesota for a hot second and then moved back to the West Coast, but in Canada this time, uh, where I worked for an, another ingredient supplier before uh, for about two years before moving to YCH. So um, happy to be selling hops now. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I like, I, it's really interesting to kind of hear about your entire journey through all of these uh, different parts of the industry. You've, you've had the opportunity to, to touch all these different parts. So, you know, you, you've worked in many various, various fields of this industry, you know, starting with food science, as you mentioned, uh, brewing, and now sales of raw materials. How have all of these different fields and, and career experiences helped you in your current role? Oh man, I think I have a real understanding of not only what the brewer is involved with on a day-to-day -day basis and, and purchasing from that point of view, but how the whole supply chain works, you know, from starting, you know, the picking all the way up to, you know, how it's being utilized uh, in many different facets. Um, and when I was selling other ingredients, that was exactly the same. You also need to know a lot about not only where it comes from, who, who's growing your ingredients, but also how to utilize it in the most effective way. Um, so having a food science background, having an understanding of not only, um, you know, where it's coming from and how to use it, but how it's being distributed, all the logistics aspects, why, why are you not getting your product today? Um, it was, I was able to answer a lot of questions um, and I, I still am able to answer a lot of questions um, that, you know, I think are really important and, and, give give customers an understanding of of what's going on with the product that they've ordered awesome you you've had the opportunity to see uh the similarities and differences in each of these respective fields that you're talking about what are what are some of those similarities and differences uh you've observed when it comes to leadership education and, and growth opportunities for women sure yeah i think it's um it's all over the board, honestly. Um, I think different facets of this industry are growing and um, are more, what's the word I'm looking for? More 
open to strong women being in leadership positions and influential positions and diversity within those groups. Um, and I think certain aspects of the industry are definitely um, growing in that regard at a much faster pace. I think the industry as a whole is, is needs a lot of catching up to do. Um, and I think it's getting there. Um, but I definitely think certain facets are, are looking internally and identifying um, identifying what needs to be done to grow this industry, to be more supportive of um, not only women, but people of diversity in all respects. Um, I think, I don't think there's, there's really an easy answer to that question at this point. I think we're still identifying what's happening and I think we're still identifying what still needs to be done. Um, but yeah, I think, I think certain, certain parts of the industry are going faster um, than others with identification of, of those areas. But I, I still think there needs to be a lot of work to be done. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like the critical kind of first step is, you know, identifying that there is room for improvement and like the evaluation analysis of that reflection is a huge, huge component of looking back where can we improve as an industry or whatever it is or whatever field it is. Um, so just the identification part is really important. Um, so mm -hmm. interesting to kind of see how, you know, this continues to evolve as we move forward and um, kind of how we can be influential as different industry members on all these different fields and what we can do to, to help, you know, I mean, that's kind of the ultimate goal is to see how we can all work together in that, in that aspect. Um, I, I personally would love to learn more about the craft beer community in Canada. Uh, what are your favorite aspects of this community? And is there anything in particular that makes the Canadian craft brewing industry special? <laughs> Natasha? <laughs> um, I mean, we're Canadian, eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think... Um, I think there's a lot of really cool things about the the Canadian uh, craft beer industry. I mean, for one, it's growing massively. I think we were at around 550 breweries, which sounds so small, <laughs> in 2015 across the nation. And then I believe we're pushing 1,300 come end of 2021. So that's like double-digit growth um, over five or six years, which is incredible. Um, one of the things that I am seeing um, in Alberta and in some of the other uh, markets as well is that a lot of like almost like every small town or community kind of has their local craft brewery, which is really fun for road tripping. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of growth. I feel like we see what's happening in the US and we catch up to trends much quicker because we see what's happening and we travel in the US. And um, and so it's a very mobile industry as well. Uh, we do a lot of things kind of on, on the fly and very quickly. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely, I agree with exactly what Natasha said. I think there's, um, it, we're bringing it back uh, in a lot of ways to the local brewery um, in a lot of little parts of Canada. Um, we are growing like crazy, um, but not macro breweries and not larger breweries. A lot of them are very small even to start with uh, and remain fairly small. 
But I think that really harkens back to the original concept of craft beer. It was a local brewery. It was local. It was local product. It was local ingredients. Um, and I think we're seeing that um, in a lot of places in Canada still, which is really exciting. So there is a lot of pride built around the local brewery still and, and, and continues to be. That's a really, just really interesting point about how even like small communities are, it's now like a staple, like every small community at this point, it feels like has um, a local brewery and it's, you have that loyal patronage, you know, it's really community focused, which um, on a lot of the aspects is just so crucial, I think, to the community, you know, like the, the craft beer, like it's so involved with the local surroundings, the local people. Um, so it's just really interesting to hear about that aspect um, in Canada. That's, uh, you know, the growth. That's awesome. I mean, that's, you know, doubling in size. Um, how impressive and exciting. I definitely, you know, neighbor, you know, we're in Washington, we're neighbors. So <laughs> Canada's not that far, but it's just interesting to learn more about. Um, I have yet to go to uh, a Canadian uh, brewery. So I'm excited. I hope to, to be able to do that one day. <laughs> Canadians are very patriotic. We're incredibly, incredibly patriotic and very proud of what we put out um, and, and that we are Canadian first. Um, so it is, it's a different experience. I think it's, it's exciting for everyone to have our own uh, quality beer programs um, that we're not relying on craft beer in the U.S. Um, we, we definitely get influenced by craft beer in the U.S., um, but I think we're very, very excited that we've built our own quality, you know, amazing industry up here. That's awesome. Where, where do you see opportunities for progress in your local craft beer and brewing scene? That's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, th I think there still is progress that can be made with regards to quality. Um, you know, a lot of our, our scene, because we're growing rapidly and we're still quite young, um, there's a lot to learn. And, um, you know, a lot of folks think they can just jump in a brewery and, and make it work. And it's the hot thing right now. Um, but it, a lot of care and work and thought goes into um, producing high quality, unflawed beer. So um, I think that's something, you know, you still occasionally see um, some flawed beer out there and, and quality could be improved. Um, obviously, hot topic at the moment, um, inclusion and equity of women and non-binary and other folks in our industry uh, has some strong strides to make, um, as well as including uh, people of color and making them feel welcome in the craft beer space, both as a customer and as a employee. I completely agree. I think that's that hits the nail on the head. I think, I think both are great aspects that we do have a little little ways to go on. Um, but I think it's exciting. I think we're we're going fast. You know, I think that's that's really the key is that we're learning from what's what's going on um, down in the US and even up here and actions action is being made very quickly. Um, we're not sitting around waiting for things to happen, that's for sure. So um, every day there seems to be more information, something new happening. Um, 
the quality aspect, I think is just, it, it is getting better very quickly. Um, we definitely have a ways to go, but I think because there is so much education now that, you know, we, we came into this industry um, midway through the birth of, of the industry down in the U.S. So there's so much research and so much, um, so many quality initiatives that are already taking place and information out there for people that, we're new, we're starting, but the information's already out there once people want to accept it. So, um, yeah, I completely agree with Natasha, but I think it's, I think it's really exciting that it's, it's happening so quickly too. Yeah. It's like one of those things that I, I love about craft beer and this entire industry is it's definitely, we're still in pioneer stages. Like there's still so much to learn and so much to do. Um, and then I, I really do appreciate hearing those points about how we can be inclusive and, and equitable um, and kind of making space and making a, a welcoming environment for everyone, um, which, you know, that's really related to, to this podcast and kind of the goal of like cre- creating those conversations around that. When I reflect on, you know, the course of the last year, so many more discussions are happening around this. Um, and it's, important discussions to have it's important to have uncomfortable conversations and that's like you're talking about like actions being taken it's like these conversations spur action right when you're talking about it so appreciate all those points um and kind of on that note of of what we can do to make uh more a more equitable industry you both are very involved in canada's pink boots society uh can you tell me more about your involvement and why you are so passionate about this organization Yeah, absolutely. So with, um, for me, I've been a Pink Boot Society member for, I believe, eight years. And I got involved through Pink Boots Brew, which is their biggest fundraiser. It's an annual uh, brew that happens on International Women's Day every year. Um, And I, and they have a I mean, I really wanted to be a member so that I could do Pink Boots Brew and get scholarships. (laughs) Those were like two big things for me. Um, It took me a little bit because I had to be earning my uh, my income from the industry. But uh, since I've been doing that, I've, I've been a member every year. In June 2020, uh, we were approached by National, so the organization that heads things up in the U.S., um, where they were founded approached us and we kind of had some scattered chapters throughout Canada. They suggested we get together and um, basically apply as a not-for-profit federally and then as we grow we can then grow our our local regional chapters from there. And so since June of 2020 it took us about eight months to uh, go through the process of uh, registering as a not-for-profit, getting our first board together. Um, And then in March 2021, we had our first Pink Boots Brew. And then in May 2021, we had the rise up of the, essentially the Me Too movement that's happening in in craft beer right now. So it's been an incredibly busy year (laughs) and a busy um, year and a half getting this organization together. But along with uh, my co-founders, Lenny and BC and Marella and uh, Liz and Marianne out in Ontario, we've put together this, this wonderful um, ne- like nationwide chapter, which is crazy because we have a lot of land to cover in Canada. 
Um, but it's working. We're, we're bringing in more donations than ever simply by existing, and we're able to give back specifically to our Canadian members. And as we were talking about, you know, making the industry more um, inclusionary and equitable, uh, one of the things that I mentioned earlier is, like, in Canada, we're very mobile. Like Shelley said, you know, like, there was a lot of resources already available. We're able to take those resources in and move very quickly. And I believe that's what we're doing with the Canada chapter and being there for our members, but also growing um, who we are and growing the resources and scholarships available for Canadian members. Yeah, I'm, I'm brand new. <laughs> I'm like two months into this. So, um, I've been a Pink Boots member though since 2017, um, so not quite as long, but I, I've, I've been involved with a few brews, which has been great, um, and I was uh, originally a member of Pink Boots Seattle, so that local chapter, um, which was small to begin with, um, but Cheyenne out of Drew Brew uh, really picked it up and turned it around, and it's, it's a very active chapter now, so um, it was really great to see how that evolved um, and become more involved with um, Pink Boots through through that chapter specifically um but yeah so i'm i'm new to the new to the board um i'm the industry inclusion chair so uh pink boots this year has expanded um into other realms of the fermentation industry uh so distilling wine cider all of that um so i've been tasked with um bringing all of those lovely lovely women and non-binary folk to uh to pink boots and pink boots canada um to get them more involved uh, for scholarship opportunities, networking, um, the whole nine. So it's really exciting to see Pink Boots open up to to all other fermentation industries. It's not just beer anymore. Um, just because there there really isn't anything like Pink Boots at this point um, for those other other fermentation industries. It's very unique. It's very supportive, um, and I think it's important to have those networks and have those um, that that ability to rely on other women within within this industry, the alcohol beverage industry as a whole. Um, my hope, and I've, I've mentioned this to Natasha a few times, is uh, the vertical integration of accountability. And I think this is so important. Um, as, as I said, we're kind of branching off into all sides of fermentation, but that also means suppliers, that also means distributors, that means everyone involved in the alcohol beverage industry needs to be held accountable because we're holding our breweries accountable within this Me Too movement. Um, and I think it's so important that we're not just holding breweries accountable and we're not just holding distilleries or cideries accountable for their actions, that everyone from top to bottom, suppliers, distributors, everyone is, is involved in this accountability to make it a more inclusive, more supportive, safer industry as a whole. Wow, that's that's amazing to kind of learn a little bit more about. So, as part of the, that the ver vertical integration of accountability, what kind of are the first steps, or or how are we, or how are you, how are you promoting that um, to get that accountability started? I'm a little, I'm curious about that. Yeah, I think we're we're identifying that right now. Um, what needs to be done? Where we want to see the industry? Um, and how we go about making those changes. Uh, this is obviously not easy, and especially since it's kind of, um, it's ingrained within this industry, it's ingrained within society, like this subconscious misogyny, this inherent bias within, within all of society, but 
also within this industry. So I think having having a real dialogue about what we want changed, how we want changed, and what the timeline looks like. This is not going to be overnight. It's not going to be within the next couple of months. So identifying reasonable goals and and really just starting conversations with, with everyone um, from top to bottom about what we want to as as a as an industry see moving forward. Um, so I think actionable actionable goals um, is really really where we're at right now and just identification of the issues at hand. I think I think that's fantastic of of making sure that like we said like every aspect of this industry there's accountability and I think it's doesn't necessary conversation so I'm really pleased to hear that that is a conversation that's happening and your involvement in it because I know that you are like a go-getter so <laughs> I know that there's gonna definitely be progress and that's like that's kind of the I don't know I guess my perspective is like that's the road that we're at like we're at a turning point and it's like do you want to be a part of this change and let's let's get to the vision that we're you were like you mentioned like what do we want this industry to look like in five years you know two years five years 10 20 like what do we what does that future look like and what do we start doing today to make that happen and it's like there's steps that you can do so it's like identifying them that you're talking about like I think I'm just really excited about hearing about mm -hmm. that um and I I know I can tell that you're passionate about it as well so I'm I'm really looking forward to learning more and kind of um, seeing how we can, you know, support and uh, be a part. This is, uh, it's, we're at this point, like I said, like we're at a, a crossroads and let's be a part of, of advancing in the right direction for sure. Um, Shanley, Shanley, can you share with me an example of a time you've been challenging your career and the lessons you learned from it or what lessons did you bring to the situation to overcome the challenge? Oh my goodness. Um, oh, there's a, there's a few, um, there's so many different things that could be identified as a challenge. Technical challenges obviously happen, I think daily, uh, in the brewing industry or in, in any, <laughs> any technically based industry, um, you know, from, from learning, you know, how to, how to work a system that's been welded together by family members, <clears throat> Um, and then being told you're not learning fast enough, even though they bought it off of Amazon and it's the pump is cavitating literally constantly, but that's your fault because you didn't learn that it constantly capitates. So anyways, there's like, there's all of those issues that are just, you know, challenges within their own right, technically. Um, and then there's challenges, you know, from from an industry and a political point of view, as far as, you know, what we've just been talking about um, struggles that I'm sure Natasha has also faced um, being a woman in this industry and being in a technical role, uh, especially, you know, having to prove yourself when a man ne wouldn't necessarily be having to prove themselves like hey i have a master's in this and years of experience but don't worry <laughs> you can ask uh, the guy with the beard over there that literally doesn't do this for a living so um you know there's those challenges as well um i think what i've learned over the last 10 years is just keep a smile on um you know be positive it's hard sometimes for sure and, and something that I've learned as well is, you know, your happiness isn't worth it. 
So like I've, I've quit jobs before. I'm not going to lie. And I've quit jobs a couple months into a job because I'm like, you know what? I'm, I'm worth more than that. Um, and I think that's an important lesson through all of these challenges is, you know, learn from them, experience them, be better than, be better than them. Walk away from them. If, if, you know, your happiness, your mental health is not, is not worth sacrificing over that. So I think as far as challenges go within this industry, there's many, and I think um, they can be, they can be ranging from technical all the way to, you know, the, the daily grind of being a woman in this industry. But I think the challenge and learning from, from those is just saying to yourself, you know, is this worth it? Am I worth it? And moving forward, if it's not, if it's not worth fighting for at some point, you know, um, there's some amazing people in this industry that will know your value. And I think, you know, identifying that is so important. Absolutely. Those were great, great, you know, advice. I always try and learn from every guest that comes on and um, kind of listening to lessons that you learned, you know, I, I take away, you know, keep your positivity. It's so important. It can get you through a lot, you know, prioritizing your happiness. Absolutely. Like, you know, your, your job, that's part of your life. So if you're not happy doing it, it's going to affect like everything around you. Um, and, and knowing your worth, I'm so glad that you, you made that point. And I'm going to carry that nugget of, of wisdom with me too, of, of just making sure that you you know your your value and your worth and also making sure that that where you work understands your value and your worth. So great great lessons to to carry with you and then also to to pass on to others. So thank you for that. Um Natasha, same question. Can you share with me an example of a time you've been, you know, challenged in your career and lessons you learned from it or what lessons did you bring to the situation to overcome the challenge? Yeah, um, Shanley had such a great answer. I mean, she had so many points there. I think for myself personally, um, when I entered the industry, I was a real go-getter. I mean, I still am, let's be honest. <laughs> but, but, you know, um, there a lot of folks tend to hear the work hard, play hard, drink hard. <laughs> Um, and so there was a couple of things for me and, and this ties into what Shanley was talking about mental health as well was, um, my relationship with alcohol, uh, has definitely evolved over the past decade and I'm being very mindful about, uh, my alcohol consumption or lack thereof, um, and the ability to take breaks. Um, and yeah, understanding probably halfway through my career that I'm more of an introvert. And so that's why I was constantly burning out all the time, going to all these events and, but having FOMO of not going to the events. So now I'm much more careful and, and I'm able to take those breaks, both for my physical, mental and emotional health. And, and I think that's been really important when it comes to all of those other challenges um, that women are, are faced with in the industry, um, especially, I mean, many of those that have been um, talked about recently. And so, yeah, so, but that's allowed me to have the energy to approach those challenges with, uh, for the most part, clear mind um, and a clear objective um, at hand. And yeah, leaving, leaving bad jobs uh, and I mean, at the establishment, when I went and had my interview, it was more me interviewing them and saying, this is what I expect. I am going to work 
my butt off for you, but I want work-life balance. I want, you know, conversation. I want to move this industry forward. I have other things on the side that I'm really passionate about that I want to be able to have time to pursue and not feel exhausted. And they were like, yes, yes, yes. And have so far uh, shown me nothing but yes, which is incredible. And yeah, like Shanley said, that the people who who see you for who you are and, and your value, they'll they'll know it. And um, but the key is not getting sucked into places where you think that they know your value and you end up being tokenized or uh, otherwise uh, in a bad situation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you made a, a great point about, you know, when you're interviewing somewhere, it's just a mu as much of you seeing if they're a good fit for you as it is the other way around. I feel like there can be kind of this weird power dynamic during an interview process. And it feels like you're trying to like earn this approval. But really, it's like, you should be looking for like your own red flags in, in a employer employee situation of like, is in, in looking at like the values, all of that is just like, do you fit well here too? I think there has been this dynamic where it's kind of like, do I, do I fit with them? But you have to make sure it's two ways. So I'm really glad that you brought that point up. Um, and also, you know, like balancing that relationship with alcohol, you know, this industry, it's, um, there are components of the job that are very different than other um, jobs or industries. And so making sure that you're you're balancing your emotional and physical health so that you think about like the longevity of your involvement in this industry so that you don't get burnt out, so that you can maintain a long, successful career that you've invested in over the years. I think that's a, a great point to make. And I, and I hope that, you know, anyone listening kind of takes to heart as well. And for someone who's newer in the industry, such as myself, it's like, that's valuable. That's valuable lessons to share with those who are who are just getting started. So I really appreciate all those points and lessons that you, you both have shared. Um, you know, what what are when we've kind of we've kind of covered some of these topics, but what are your thoughts on how on how the hop and beer industry can evolve to be more empowering and equitable for women? I have a lot of thoughts on this. <laughs> Good. <laughs> you know, this, I mean, we, this we try and have these discussions and we try to explore solutions as well. And so like seeing like, what, I don't know, what could this be? What could we do to make this more, more empowering and equitable? So I love that you have thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's something that I've been actively in, involved in in my whole career and extremely active, obviously in the past um, seven months. Mm -hmm. But um, I think, for me, you know, a lot of folks will come to me and be like, well, how can I change? How can I be a part of the change? How can I help? And I think one of the biggest things is to understand um, that women, non-binary folks, um, LGBTQ2S+, and BIPOC folks are not underrepresented. We're systemically excluded. And then once you have that viewpoint, it's not, how do we hire more people? How do we, um, you know, I'm not getting diverse applicants. It's how do we tear down the systems that are in place that have excluded um, folks for that long or made it so that, you know, only, you know, real ambitious folks are in there and a lot of wonderful folks found the systems to be just too much to overcome and they've since left the industry. 
So I, th I think that's a really important viewpoint to have. And once you start examining the systems, um, then it becomes, okay, now there's some actions that I can do on these systems. Obviously, I mean, it's hard. I'm still learning myself, um, you know, what's the best way to to go about this and, and make it more empowering and equitable. But, um, you know, some simple things like in your uh, like job advert, putting salary range is so important. Every work is transactional. And yes, there's perks and I want to work for that company because the values line up, but work is transactional. We are there for the most part, five days a week, spending most of our time there and we expect something in return. And knowing what you're willing, everybody has a range they're willing to pay. Um, if you make it based on my experience, I'm going to tell you I'm $150,000 a year. <laughs> But, you know, be honest about that and upfront about that. And, you know, folks are able to look at that and say, yes, that might be a good fit for me or no, that's not a good fit for me. And they're able to move on right away. Everyone has a cap. Everyone has a salary range. So that's just one of the really small things. But I think really understanding that um, it's the not that we're underrepresented, that we're systemically excluded and then taking a look at those systems and how do we dismantle those to make it a di more diverse field is a really important place to start. It sounds very esoteric, but I think that mind shift is probably a really good first place to start. I love that example. I think that's a, an excellent point. And I'm going to speculate, which is dangerous ground to be on sometimes, but I, I've heard that like women are, when they see like a, um, like years of experience that's required for the job, they're less likely to apply that some that might require more that have on the application more years, but a man will apply. And I, I'm curious, I, this is a, if similarly to like a salary range of like not asking for the salary that you should be earning or that's um, appropriate for the job description or your experience or whatever it is, if it's kind of tied similarly to that. So, I mean, I'm just, you know, wondering if that's kind of a similar situation and, and if putting down the salary range is like very clear communication of the expectations and also gives, you know, applicants, I think, an understanding and an equal footing of, of how to talk about what you said is very important. It's a transactional experience. It's a transactional component. So I really appreciate that is a spot on um, suggestion. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And sorry, I'm just going to add on a little bit more when, when you're talking about, um, you know, how how women won't necessarily apply when there's like that. There's tons of research. It's not speculation. There's tons of research that backs that up. And um, when you're talking about women, women who will apply and, and other under un, systemically excluded folks, um, you know, when you have a salary range, it's ensuring that there's integrity in the hiring process, um, as well as, you know, making sure that it, it's just equitable up front. Um, but yeah, it, it, there's tons of research to support, you know, that women are judged based on their past accolades and men are judged on their future potential. 
And I realize right now I'm, I'm talking to the gender binary, which is a whole other subject that we could go into. But uh, the, the research does support that, that women. So when I was starting out in the industry, it was I went after all the education I could get and the networking. I've networked like crazy so that I know uh, a ton of great folks who I can go to with questions and they're willing to discuss that with me. Um, but I always felt like I had to trot out my like education credentials ahead of time before being taken seriously. And only in the past six months ha have I said, screw it, I'm not doing that anymore. And you can judge me based on what you hopefully know about me or what you're going to find out in your conversations with me. Um, and that's been a bit of a revelation. But sorry, I went on a tangent there. But that's you said awesome. you're speculating and there's there's tons of research to back it up. So I could go on about that for a while. <laughs> Shanley, any thoughts? I, I everything that that Natasha said was absolutely correct and what I would agree with. And I think, you know, exactly that we are we are systemically excluded rather than it, it, it's it's just I think having that conversation and having intentional HR practices, I think, you know, to to really encourage this, the like women, people like people who are, um, you know, BIPOC, LGBTQ2S, I think it's so important that these practices are not just the best candidate gets it, that there is intentional HR practices that are built into these systems and these companies to encourage um, diversity and inclusion. And I think having a diversity inclusion committee or some sort of group within every single company, every single um, you know, organization is so important. So there's always going to be a check and balance. There's always someone having that discussion and identifying how can we do better? How can we involve people of diversity? How are we being inclusive? How are we not being inclusive? Having those trainings so that way your whole your whole company is is well versed in that kind of communication and is well versed in in society as it evolves. Um, and I think that's so important to be able to build a, an industry that is inclusive, safe, um, and encouraging for everyone. I know, like Natasha says, usually you just see the scrappy ones make it through to the industry. I can tell you, I'm scrappy. And there's been times in not that distant past that I've had to really think about my involvement in this industry and scrap my way through it because it's it's not easy. It is not easy. And I, I think we're very lucky to be able to be in this industry where we are. Um, and I mean, lucky as a whole, like everyone, men, women, you know, everyone is very lucky to be in an industry where we are passionate about it. And having, <laughs> having lived through, you know, the the hiring practices of certain companies, um, uh, breweries, etc, you know, to to involve people that are not absolutely 100% dedicated because we have we have people of a diverse maybe less um, less educated background because you know again we are based on our past rather than our future as people of of you know marginalized um, and and diverse backgrounds uh, you know I think I think there we've 
uh, as a whole, we have been overlooked because of that. Um, and people who are not as scrappy have been overlooked and people who don't have the education or don't have the experience have been overlooked in favor for people who are not passionate about this industry. And I think we are so lucky to have the ability to be in this industry because it is a unique industry and we have, it is based around passionate people. It is not, it is not a get rich quick scheme by any means. You have to be passionate to be a brewer. You have to be passionate to be the owner of a brewer. You have to be passionate at all levels. The farmers are passionate, we're passionate. And to have people who are just as passionate, but maybe not have the educational background, who are of a diverse background, is just an absolute shame. And I think that starts with intentional HR practices, diversity inclusion groups, and really identifying what needs to be done better. Um, and I think we're getting there. I really do. Like I said, I'm optimistic. I'm saying this is, this is getting better, and I think it's happening quickly. Um, I know we have this discussion within our board on pink boots a lot. And I think, I think the resources, resources are becoming more and more available in the discussion, especially I think in, in Canada, the discussion is always at the forefront a lot of times. So I'm excited that this is happening. I think there's a long way to go, but it's, it's, it still needs to, it still needs to happen. A lot of things still need to happen, but it's, it's getting there. It's going to get there. Yes, I love everything you said. And just a note about DEI committees, if you're going to have one, don't make all your minorities do your DEI committee, do the yes. work yourself, yes. do it from the top down. And if you are going to have people who are passionate about it and want to be on them, pay them to do it. I'm very passionate about DEI. I would not say I'm an expert in it. I would say I'm a cheerleader for it. So I'm not a great person to be on that committee. Like you need people who will want to do the work from the top down. They're professionals in it and they're able to lead the change. And I think you mentioned it before. I think having, having those discussions, but then also in a way that does not, I think having the right changes and I'm trying to say this in the, in the right way, having the changes, but not in a way that, is performative you're not a you're not it's not performative allyship you know you're not doing it because the industry is telling you to do it you're doing it because it's the right thing to do and it's because you want to be more diverse and you want those backgrounds and you're not doing it you know and i you see like a lot of organizations will find the token and and natasha touched on before tokeniz tokenization of the bottom level and then you just see the same all the influential people from the top, like top down to where they're no longer influential, same, same. But then you've got your token who are not influential at all, but they're there and there's pictures of them and see, we're being so great. But that performative allyship is so dangerous, I think. And I just, it, it makes me mad, <laughs> makes me mad to see it. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that's changing. I think like I said before, there's that vertical integration of accountability. And I think we're starting to see the accountability happening um, within the breweries um, from the industry. And I think it's only going to get better. Wow. So I'm like blown away. <laughs> I mean, all just great, great points. Um, I think very tangible things too, which is like so important of like, 
I, I could walk away. I now have a list of things of like things to keep in mind and which I so appreciate from each of you providing some like tangible items to keep in mind, to put into action, to encourage in, in, you know, anyone's company leadership, whatever it is, there's, there's a direct list there. And so I, I appreciate all of those points. Um, you know, you mentioned resources. Um, so any other resources like organizations, books, podcasts, or, or education opportunities you would recommend to other women or, or anyone who is looking to broaden their knowledge on either this industry or, or this topic? Yeah, I've got a bunch. Um, Canadian specific in British Columbia, uh, Diversity and Beer Society. In Alberta, we have Hot Forward Society. Um, and then in the Maritimes, uh, Changes Brewing, which I believe is out of Nova Scotia. Uh, those are the three that I know. I think there's several others in in planning or progress right now. Um, these societies are all dedicated to increasing the diversity and um, and providing the resources, scholarships, grants um, to marginalized folks in the industry and, and advancing this industry. They're doing great work, all not-for-profits. Obviously, Pink Boots Society, the Canada chapter, um, we have some exciting things coming in 2022, um, both for our potential members from the fermented beverage industry now, um, as well as current members expanding our scholarship options specifically to the Canadian members. So you don't have to compete with all of the Pink Boots members. So keep an eye on us there. Uh, if I could give a shout out to a podcast and you want to increase your beer and brewing knowledge, False Bottomed Girls is fantastic. Um, that's uh, two of my friends in the States and they do a fantastic job breaking down uh, brewing knowledge, ingredients, process, styles, everything you could want to know about beer beyond what's in your glass. Right on. Shanley, any resources you'd recommend? I think Natasha touched on all of them. Um, Ren Navarro is an amazing resource. She's phenomenal. Um, I think she has a podcast now. I have honestly, and I feel bad saying this, I have not listened to it, but I, it's on my list of things to listen to. Um, Ren's amazing and such a wealth of knowledge. Um, yeah, and I think everything that Natasha said, I, I think there's a lot of momentum building and I think there's a lot more uh, resources coming out. I think we're just at the start. Um, but all, all of those are phenomenal. So, um, so yeah, I think I'm, I'm just kind of watching Instagram and social media and just like waiting for the next one to pop up so I can, you know, get involved and, and learn more myself because I, I can't say I'm an expert on it either. You know, we're, we're all learning and we're all, I think that needs to be, um, I think that needs to be it too. You know, we're all learning. There needs to be a lot of kindness to everyone involved. Um, obviously with the accountability but i think we're all we're all getting through this we're all learning what needs to be done and what what the next steps are so um you know i think again i'm not an expert on on that at all but i think the resources are out there um to have start having those discussions so even if even if you don't know what what to ask or that you're worried about a question might not be pc or you know you're just you don't know those are great resources. It's all, it's non-judgmental. They just want to help educate 
educate people. And I think that's that's really the most important thing. There's a lot of kindness built around those organizations um, with the knowledge building. Awesome. Thank you both for those recommendations. Uh, and thank you for, for joining us, Shanley and Natasha. It was truly a pleasure. You both brought so many great pieces of, of, of wisdom, advice, great lessons and takeaways. I really appreciate to, to hear more about your, your careers and also kind of your perspectives on how we can improve and grow in a positive direction. Um, so just th thank you both so much for joining. I, I also just want to take this opportunity. Um, you know, we've, ha we've heard a little bit more about the positive impact of Pink Boots Society and just remind people that, uh, that Yakima Chief Hop's Pink Boots Blend is available for pre-order and there's donations from every pound purchase goes to Pink Boots Society scholarships so that, uh, this, this society can continue making a positive impact. Um, so just a reminder on that one, um, big thank you to all who participate and, and support Pink Boots Society. And thank you for listening, joining in on this discussion. Let's continue finding ways to grow the impact of the hop and craft beer community. Together, let's create something bigger than beer.